Welcome to another episode of Hobbinate in Canada. I'm your host, Tom, and with me this week is... Ward, Mike, and Dan. And I couldn't I couldn't do that as always, because Steve's not here. There is no always. There, you should never say always, because always infers that every episode is going to be the same. We have yeah, because I wasn't here last time. I wasn't there last time. Oh, shit. Yeah, so... It was just like the holy triumvirate. <laughs> <laughs> Rush? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, I think it was every time Steve starts talking about 40K, he has this theory that if he has a conversation about something that I don't want to talk about, I'll just start talking about Rush. Oh, yeah, you do. Absolutely. <laughs> I've noticed it. <laughs> it's my cue of, like, stop talking about lists for 40K. I'll talk models, but I will never be that interested in learning about what combo is in vogue right now for Adeptus Mechanicus or So it's like whatever. me in Battletech? No, I actually care about Battletech. <laughs> like, I actually legitimately care more about Battletech than 40k. And you don't care about Rush? I love Rush. Okay. Just clarifying. Making sure we're all on the same page here. Okay, we can yeah, I can give you the 2112 reasons. Oh. <laughs> Although, <laughs> funny, speaking up. of 2112, oh, that oh. happened to, just happened to be the number of dice ordered from Chessex a while ago. No way. 2112. Did you did you put the overture on immediately afterwards? <laughs> I didn't need to. It's all in my head. <laughs> Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it's probably one of the more off-topic preambles we've had in a while. See, this is me. Two weeks of incoherent rambling, or episodes worth, are kind of going to be shoved into this one episode because I was gone last time. That's a lot of rambling. Right? Okay. So I probably won't have that much. Uh, let's start with the easiest things first. Ward, what have you been working on? I've been building a lot of buildings uh, with the new Knights of Dice stuff that has shown up. Uh, work has basically turned into a, a sawdust location now with all the uh, MDF boards that I've been cleaning, <laughs> cleaning and such. Um, and then, yeah, just organizing and getting stuff ready for Onslaught with trophies and swag and such. Nice. So. Do you... Okay. Do I paint models? No, 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 no. We that, never no. would go that far. Don't even, don't even think that I was going to ask you that question. Your Cato army has been in the exact same status for the last five years. Yeah, yeah, about No, that. I was going to ask, you said trophies swag. Mm-hmm. Do you want to throw out a teaser to anyone of what to maybe expect from Onslaught? Um, in the way of the trophies? Or swags kind of things? Or you want to keep it a secret and keep them... The swag will will keep a secret, but the trophies, I already posted a picture on um, the Onslaught website, so I'll post one, too, on the uh, Hobby Night uh, site as well. They look good. The new look. Yeah, I decided to go against the... The curved glass, and I upped it this year with a, a black back. Curved game. metal with glass on top. Curved well, there's, there still curves. is a lot of curve there. There's, there's curvature happening. And they're heavy. So. They're, so. they're actually got some weight to them. So. Yeah, is this, like, possible murder weapon heavy? Yes, I, <laughs> I think you so. probably could I kill somebody so, yeah, with that one, yes. Okay, so, best generals. <laughs> Wear helmets. <laughs> for your own good. Best sports, probably safe. Yeah. <laughs> should, Although, should in all honesty, you really should just never have a 40k best sport trophy. Just 
just one year, just print David Rowland on it, and then it's going to be the one year he doesn't win it. I well, maybe I'll just do that with a piece of paper and just tape it onto the trophy, mm-hmm. and then or like one of those label happy. makers and just just completely fucking ruin the trophy. Just, <laughs> <with> like, <laughs> just wreck it. Sure, I can do that. Just for you, Dave. <laughs> That's what I've been up to. That's about it. So, Mike. Uh, I'm just, I actually painted up one figure and did some work on a couple others. That's it. Yeah, but you were actually pushing yourself with that figure. Yeah, I tried a bunch of new things. Uh, I thought, you know what? I'm always doing the same thing. Maybe it's time to up the game a little bit, try some new stuff. Had a lot of fun doing it. So, so that yeah, was your, like, Death Watch commander guy? Death Watch master, yes. Cool. Yeah. I really loved how that base turned out. Yeah, no, it, it was it was super easy to do too. Actually, like the only thing that was really worrying was playing with the crush class. <laughs> yeah, that that made me sweat a little bit. Yeah. Did you throw away the the uh, mat that you were working on? I thought the which the mat that you were working on. Oh no, no, I still have. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I threw that out. I yeah, threw that out. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. like, oh, honey, maybe we should just throw this out. There's some glass on. Yeah. There, so. <laughs> Actually, I didn't say that. I didn't maybe tell her exactly what it was. It was just a toxic powder. Well, it's like it's like when you're using a saw to cut resin pieces, and you're totally not wearing a mask, yeah. and there's other people in the room that don't know any better, and you're just pretending like it's all cool, and you're not just giving everyone cancer. It's a better way to go. Well, I don't know if it's that bad, because it's not floating around. It's, it's pretty heavy. It hits the ground, it maybe scatters, but that was it, yeah. But all yeah, right. a lot of fun. Learn some new stuff, how to not do stuff. Okay, what was one of the things that you learned not to do? Because we usually budget about five minutes for you to list off what you've been painting. Yeah. Yeah, so you've got four and a half minutes worth of talking about (laughs) stuff that you've done. Well, I did do other stuff, don't get me wrong, just nothing to completion. It was a lot of uh, base coding and stuff like that. So I did do other stuff. Trust me, Mike, it doesn't have to be to completion to count. Okay. (laughs) I did lots of, like, yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> One of the things I learned that you discover is when I made the icicles, you can't let it get too soft or it snaps or refers to virtual form. There we go. And I, this is Mike, why I laugh when you say you're professional. See? <laughs> Mike, I, I love the things you say so much. Because yeah. it just it just makes me happy. How could it not be interpreted that way? <laughs> it's just so hard not to laugh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, don't worry, I got that. <laughs> it was not subtle. Yeah. Uh, Dan, how about you? I did some work on the Imperial Space Marine with the disintegrator gun. A while ago, I found all the pieces for him. Oh. In the paper towel. Yeah, he was hiding in a paper towel tube. It was really weird. The paper towel, too. It made literally no sense, but moving on. Interesting. Uh, so, yeah, I got him started a while ago. The metals and stuff were all done. The base is all done. There's lots of noise coming from upstairs. I'm starting to question a little bit about the paint scheme. There's a fuckload of copper on the model, just the way I was doing it to Can we just put your dog outside? <laughs> That's where he's going, but he has issues. <laughs> But, yeah, so the Imperial Space Marine was my hobby stuff, and, yeah, it's it's a little bit weird getting used to doing painting again after a while of not the fine motor controls. Not what it used to be, but... Uh, it, it comes back surprisingly quick. It normally takes a model or two to really get into it, but... Uh, 
Probably by the end of this fig, you'll probably be back up to at least where you were six months ago. I hope so, because I need to freehand some checkers on this guy, so I need to get good quickly. <laughs> I think, when's the last time you did that? Was that on the Emperor's Children guy? Oh, Jesus, fuck, it's getting loud upstairs. Now, some of my other Raven Guard have had uh, checkers on them, like the Terminators, they all had the little heraldry shoulder pad. Right, that right. little plate on there, so some of them had checkers, and... It's the Contemptor might have had one on the knee pad or something like that, but I've done okay. a handful of checkers on, other, like, black and white checkers on other models in this army already. But this is going to be black and red checkers, so it's a completely different ballgame. Oh, yeah, that's that's a whole new can of worms. <laughs> but no, it should be good. I'm, I'm looking forward to finishing up this model and be the first 40k model I've done in a while. First model in general I've done to Outside of Battletech in a long time. Yeah, there's, like, a couple of models that I've done the last, like, six months or whatever, so, yeah, really? I'm doing, It'll be good to get back on uh, on the wagon here. Man, so, one of my favorite things that I get to now say, what I've been working on, I've actually been working on my cocks. Because <laughs> I got the rooster riders together, I got uh, all the base coats down on them, and I started working on some highlights. And then I proceeded to get my Gen Con order in the mail, and that's with the Sky Pirate crew and Sparks and like the mechanized pork chop and the survivors, which are all of the the half-mechanical gremlins and all of those wonderful, amazing things. So I started putting those together. I noticed. I saw some pictures. It seemed like very Tom things to be working on. Oh, my God. It's The best part about that specific group of five models, it takes two of my favorite things ever for miniature gaming and throws them together because I loved the um, like techno-virus aspect of the Iron Warriors, and I love green skins. And it's... it's Green skin cyborgs. Green and bolt gun metal. <laughs> yeah. It all comes back to green and bolt gun metal. My two favorite colors, it, although now technically it's green and iron breaker or whatever. Yeah, that's kind of like lead belcher. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I'm really excited for working on those guys, and I'm looking forward to. I should have um, most of that stuff done for Onslaught, if not all. Cool. Because I want to be busting out some more uh, new gremlins for that. Ultimately, it's what, five models? Or do you mean like the entire thing? Well, the entire thing would be... Brain, come on. We've got three, four, five, six, eleven models. Thirteen with the cocks. Did you bite your tongue too? Because mine really is sore right now. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Ward, why are you asking Ward? Like, honestly, Mike... I'm the only other person here that paints models on any scale. No, I had nothing to do with that. It's okay. You keep going. <laughs> I think they might be talking about the doggy noises. I'm talking about the tap dancing dog upstairs right now. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> I, I love how we actually decided to record here instead of Dan's, because uh, we normally record at Steve's, for those who don't know. Um, and the thought was the sound would be better at Ward's. <laughs> it, it would if the tap dancing dog had put his practice in earlier in the day and then not been dancing around. I'm picturing a pig slipping on ice right now. That, it's kind of like that. For feeding him, we actually have to put like a mat underneath him so he doesn't like splay out. Is this the old one or the young one? The old one. Oh, no. He's 15, so his... I kind of feel bad now because I'm picturing the puppy doing it being like really excited, but now I'm just like picturing this really sad dog. <laughs> 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 Who's adorable, by the way. <laughs> He's pretty good, so I, can, I can't complain. Uh, okay, so let's move on past that into the shut up and take my money. Uh, let's go in reverse order, starting with Dan, I guess. Sure. All right. Um, the White Dwarf cover is has been leaked with the fucking 
what were they? Um, Thousand Sons and like custodians and stuff from like the follow up sequel box to Battle of Kalth or Betrayal of Kalth. <sighs> so it looks, yeah, it looks like a Space Wolf character, some Thousand Sons and custodians and stuff. It's a full on Battle of Prospero. Fuck! There goes my money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this is gonna get expensive. Those like Fuck. they haven't done. I don't know if they've ever done custodian models. I don't and think they have. I think did they do? Was there an Inquisitor one? I don't think so. I don't think so. I probably would have bought several of them, but like in unless there was maybe something in Rogue Trader, I don't think they've ever done a custodian model. So like this is this is, is everyone I'm thinking of have they all been conversions? Probably. There's a, there's a handful of like Cyborg and other miniature companies that do not custodians. Where it's just wink wink. <laughs> <laughs> very very fancy looking guys in gold armor and robes. That, yeah. Yeah. That are totally not custodians. Totally not custodians. But um yeah, so that that is the thing and that's going to probably just vacuum up all my funds. So I got a question for you. As someone that does not play either one of those legions. Doesn't matter. I'm gonna want it. Just buy all the things. The models look really good. No, no, but like, are they like for me? I play Iron Warriors. Can I buy the box and use the models? The box set looks like the tactical squads in it are gonna be Mark Three armor, not Mark Four. <gasps> and there's um, Tartarus pattern terminators instead of Cataphract. <gasps> <laughs> and what else? There's yeah, the Thousand Sun Sorcerer character and a Space Wolf character, and really God knows what else because there's only a few. You had me at Mark Three armor. I know Mark the Mark Three and Mark Two armor from Forge World often has really awkward to trim mold lines on like the 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 kind of like segmented ribbed whatever you want to call it like backs of their legs. Yeah, are really brutal places to get mold lines, and you always get the mold lines there. So not having to deal with that ever again. Is like kind of blowing my mind. You know what really sucks? I have two calf boxes worth of Mark IV, and my Iron Warriors just really want Mark III. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, really. Yeah. Like, really want I'm, Mark I'm, III. I'm kind of glad that I only bought one box of calf and didn't really do anything with it <laughs> <laughs> at this point. <sighs> no, it's it's going to be a sweet-looking set. Okay. There's all kinds of cool shit in there, and we don't even know for sure what's in there. And it's okay, too, because we can always drink to forget. Mm-hmm. Always an option. There's more strong bro upstairs, Mike. Yeah. He's not even halfway through his Get first. on it. <laughs> so anyway, you're up, Mikey. Uh, shut up and take my money. What was it? Oh, uh, the, it's scheduled for six weeks. The battleships for Drop Fleet should be out, and that's going to eat up a lot of my money. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. They sound like well, they're small. They're I'm probably be about forty-five Canadian each, and you probably want two for each race. And, 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 and I bought all I, races. I, yeah, I kicked in for all four fleets in the Kickstarter. So yeah, sure, why not? Sorry, you were talking about how you didn't have any money. You have a little less now. Yeah, buddy. yeah. <laughs> Out of curiosity, Uncle Visa, you're fine. Yeah. Are you interested in selling one of those starters, or are you wanting to play all four? Oh, I'm. I don't know yet. So we'll see when it shows up. Okay. We, we can talk. <laughs> we can. We can talk. We can talk. <laughs> oh man, Ward, the sh- my shut up and take my money is going to be amazing, and you're going to love it too. Okay, is it my turn for yeah. first? Though? Okay, sure. So mine. Uh, I know that Mike said this last week. Is I picked up Operation Red Veil. Yeah. For Infinity, and uh, who's in that? Is that the one with the monkeys? No. No. Uh, this one comes with the Yujing, um, and the Hakasalam. And you got the two limited edition characters that show up, and then a third one. 
as well for a Mercenary. For a mercenary. Yeah. But, like, the new terrain boxes that they came up with, I mean, they're Ooh. cardboard, but they look pretty freaking awesome, actually. So, and then the uh, the three limited edition models is pretty sweet, too. I mean, it's kind of like a throwback to what GW used to do, and actually the box sets would have something limited, and that would be the incentive of buying it. But uh, the uh, Hakka Salam would be kind of my second army that I would like to start. But uh, So I figured I might as well pick it up, and I've been a good boy, and I haven't opened it yet, so I'm just... <laughs> playing the way is that going to be after onslaught? That's kind of the game plan. Well, after well, you still have how many buildings left to paint? Well, I bought some sprays, so hopefully that'll pick up. I still got buildings to assemble and everything too. So, but a couple of people have volunteered to help out, so I'm pretty sure that uh, you should get a, like okay. a, a building assembling conch. <laughs> and just and just blow it and like building assemble. assemble. <laughs> yes. I should. <laughs> like, oh, hey, Ward, we've been here literally the entire time you have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is awkward. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Red, Va- Red Veil has uh, got my money hobby-wise uh, for myself personally lately. So. Speaking of other things, it's going to have your money hobby-wise. Oh, my Ward. God, all three of you, hey? No, no, but this one you actually have to spend money on. Oh, okay. Because we found out the 75mm model that we need for the painting class we're going to be in oh, yes. November. yes. From Black Sun Miniatures, the Barbarian. Yeah, did you tell Dallas you want one? Yeah, did you? He messaged me and I said I was going to talk to you, so... That's pretty nice, 75mm? 75 75mm, mo- 75 that's the model that we're going to be doing for the painting class. That looks like it'll be fun. It's- Are we also doing the bus, though? We're doing both. Okay, that's what I thought. So yeah, but and we get, uh, but yeah. So the Black Sun miniatures are just gorgeous. Are you gonna do the barbarian with or without helmet? Absolutely without helmet, because the main reason I want to do a class like this is for the facial details and covering a face with bulk and metal. Just, I think I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to learn like, because painting faces properly is actually really hard. And I want to learn more tricks about that. And painting just, like, a lip and a chin, I'm not going to learn anything doing that. Is that the only one that you're picking up from Black Sun? Yeah, because that's the one that you have to do for the for the class. Yeah. Um, Makes sense, so you're not teaching all kinds of wildly different techniques and stuff. Well, there's another one that I really love the look of and that I wanted to do is the Old Barbarian. And the problem with the Old Barbarian is that apparently, and this is the quote, the model's actually shit. The guy who painted it could paint shit and still win a golden demon. Like, literally paint shit. So just, like, painting detail where there is no detail? Yeah. Okay. Because, <laughs> like, it looks The old barbarian amazing. looks way better, for sure, in my opinion. But it's too, totally so. just the paint job. That's impressive. Yeah. Now I'm, now I'm so, in the, in the vein of really bad podcasting, that's the one I wanted to do. Yeah, I would have... I preferred that one as well. If but the model actually looked like that, that would be swell. Apparently that's all paint job. <laughs> so Incredibly disappointing. Should we should we order one just in case? Uh, no. I, I, got, <laughs> I, I have to draw the line somewhere, man. And 75 mil models are not cheap. No, they're 30 some pounds. Yeah, so like 50-60 bucks? Yeah, although right now is probably the time to do it considering we're under 2 bucks. It was a lot better a couple might, weeks I ago, for, in all fairness. but Yeah. Who knows? So, anyways, that was me. Um, so let's just jump into the first period, so we're not wasting all of the time, even though we mostly are. <laughs> uh, okay, so, Ward, you've got it in front of you. Yes. Why don't you start talking about it? Okay, so we're... Without slamming it on the table, man. I didn't. I spun it. 
<laughs> I, that thing just hit the table with my knee. So at, at, some, at some point you were correct in this. So, um, so the first period we're going to talk about a um, liquid latex, liquid mask. Moving right along. It's a, it's a liquid latex rubber that you can basically place over portions of your model um, that have been painted um, or unpainted to basically be able to airbrush um, other areas or paint over other areas. And not have horrific overspray. Exactly. So I know that Steve has used quite a bit of this. He's painting a bust right now, and um, he's been doing a bunch of, like, the skin tones, and then when he's gone back over other areas in order to, like, block out, like, the eyeball that he's already painted, if he wants to do touch-ups on his uh, airbrushed skin, he can just paint this liquid latex over top of the eyeballs, do his sprays again and I'll worry about overspray and then just rub it off with like a finger or blue tack. So both of those will really help doing um, the removal process for it. Um, this is the stuff that we actually learned about uh, down in Vegas uh, in February actually that they did the demos on. Yeah. So just the different ways of applying it. You can use a sponge if you're looking to do damage details. Uh, if you're painting like a, a rust color underneath your, your uh, primary color. Um, it was about $20 for the tub there at Michael's. And how much do you get in there? 473 milliliters. It's a good, it's a good amount. You're not going to run out right away. Or I, I actually tried to pick that up, but the minimum wage retail people didn't have a clue where it was and I couldn't find it. <laughs> oh. You and me will go hunting. We'll find it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a reason, it's a reasonable cost, especially with Michael's where you just wait until you get like a 40% off coupon. coupon. Yeah, exactly. Which is every day in your email. Pretty much. So well, once, once a month, I think once a month you get the forty percent off. So, but uh, the website you can whatever. You, there's always coupons on the website too. You can usually get yeah. some sort of discount, but yeah, exactly on it. So, and um, considering that the bottle is, that's the equivalent of like twenty five to thirty like paint pots, depending on the brand. Yeah. So that stuff will last you a while, exactly. like a good long while. This stuff is a little bit like thicker. It's not like a really runny um, latex. Um, so the advantage of it is you can actually sponge it on if you're doing those. Um, you get those uh, sharp edges. It's not going to run on you. Yeah, exactly. And that's the so. biggest thing, right? Like if you're actually painting it on to cover a specific area, it stays on that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, I've had some good experience with it, uh, using it in the class for, like, the damage effects and everything with the sponging, and then you can put down tape, you can spray it, put some tape over top for the area that you want, and then just rub it off again, like I said, with your finger, or you can use some, like, blue tack or uh, white tack and basically just kind of peel it off. So. Yeah, just kind of the dab and peel. The only caution that you'd have to really do is if you put the second layer over top of the latex very, very thick, is you can pull a little bit more than you originally anticipated. Um, so you just want to make sure your layers so thin your are paints, thin. Is what you're saying. Thin your paints, okay. airbrushing, you shouldn't run into that problem, right? Because you're putting on the thin layers anyway. And it does work on a lot of different materials as well. So we've used it on plastic kits already for the doors. Uh, I've used it actually on the blue on the building there that mm-hmm. I painted. Uh, all that was like liquid latex, and then I went back and like highlighted the building itself. So. Oh, sweet. So it works on many different surfaces as well. On the... On the product itself, it recommends that if you're putting it on, like, brass or copper, then maybe you put, like, a sealant over top uh, before you use the... Like raw metal? Yeah. Okay. So, I don't know. Will it oxidize? I'm not sure. I'm not so much worried about it oxidizing, because it might just... If it's, like, a polished metal, it probably just wouldn't adhere to it, like, at all. Oh, fair enough, yeah. Right? So, if it's got something to hold on to, then it could be a little bit better for that, so... But, yeah, for the the cost of it, um, the applications that you can use it for... It's a really handy uh, item for sure, so I'm kind of glad that I took the class and learned about it and and utilized it. So, um, Angel, 
uh, how do you pronounce his last name? Curiaz? The, the one that paints for Infinity. I can't remember what his last name is. Is it Heraldas? Heraldas. Or something like that? Yes. I don't know. There's, Sir, a, there's multiple a, guys in the name Angel something. It's so. the one that you've got. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know how to <laughs> pronounce it, though, so I'm not even going to try. So, anyway, Angel, uh, in, in the in, painting class yep. book for Infinity, he actually talks about using quite a bit of the, the liquid mask and everything. That's, that's what I've heard, because he airbrushes virtually everything, everything. right? Yeah. Um, and that's a fuckload of masking. So the liquid latex is a little bit nicer for applying it exactly where you're wanting, uh, compared to, I know, like, taping something up, or um, some of the other painters will actually use saran wrap uh, with edges being taped down and the saran wrap itself like covering most of it. Yep, I've seen stuff like that also done for like automotive or like if you're spraying like a motorcycle tank or something like that a lot of times. Because using the expensive tape for everything is a waste, right? Like mm-hmm. if you can use paper or saran wrap or something else just to cover the large areas and use the other product for like the edges. But the nice thing detail. The nice thing about the liquid latex though is it's way better for doing organic masking. So if you're masking off camel patterns or like especially like that um, dig- digital camo or that kind of thing. Straight edge tape doesn't exactly do edges and curves and complex shapes. No. Especially on just curved or detailed surfaces. Yeah, so this doesn't... And the other nice thing, too, is that with a tape, it's got to be able to adhere at every point. Otherwise, it's useless because the spray can get underneath. It'll bleed underneath, Whereas too. with this, it's like automatically going to be doing that. So you're getting a more consistent coverage, and you're able to do much more... Uh, unique and controlled coverage than you would with tape. Absolutely. You're not going to get the hard lines, but in all honesty, whenever you guys are masking stuff, how often are you masking a hard straight line? I mean, if you're doing pinstriping or something, which... Pinstriping, chevrons? The, yeah. the chevrons building. for sure. Iron Warriors would, they would need that. <laughs> the buildings themselves, like I've just been blocking off like some of the square sections, like the little tiny awning on the top. That's that everybody thing. can see. So I can get it. Well, I'm just showing you guys <laughs> as an example of like my straight edge. But but again, the blue building is where I use the liquid mask because again, it had like lots of little small curves in the in the blue corner sections. And, that and that would have been thing, a so. pain in the ass with tape or any other method. Oh God, I would have shot something or somebody for sure okay so <laughs> what do you keep wait, for? i got a question I for you because uh i haven't really used this stuff much correct do you just go right out of the pot onto the model right out of the pot so i just basically dip my brush in and i just directly paint on how much i want so uh it'll go on as a, like a cream color if you open it up it doesn't smell the greatest just uh, another fyi <laughs> um <laughs> So of course he smells. Oh my god, it smells like urine. I'm kind of glad that he asked. Uh, (laughs) Oh wow, like I. It's a good good thing you stuck your face right in, (laughs) right in the container. (laughs) Oh man, did you see how creamy? Did you see how creamy? I didn't use my eyes. Uh, (laughs) Oh man, it's. Oh, that is. Okay, well, yeah, let me reopen it and like just so, go so, give her give her a solid well, I know, one. I know. I, no, but give her I a know solid what one. It smells like. But just give it a solid one. Yeah, it no, I've done it already. Yeah, I already mentioned. So it it's before. a it's a cream. I thought that in my throat. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you paint it on, it'll dry clear actually really quickly. So yeah. the the use of the product is almost immediate for uh, being able to like overspray with an airbrush and not have to worry about anything. Yeah, it smells like my rabbit's piss. <laughs> I will take your word for that. For sure, so <laughs> that that may come back during the puck rating segment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a plus or a minus, though. It's a minus. Uh, Rabbit piss smells really bad. Well, I didn't know for you. Maybe it was just like you know what? I missed Thumper or something <laughs> along those lines. Thumper? 
I was coming up with a rabbit name, and that's all I thought of at the time. Her name's Gizmo, man. Okay. All right. Um, but, yeah, so you can use it right away. I just use it, again, like I said, uh, just dip a brush in, paint it straight on. It'll dry really quick. Uh, probably not recommended to lick your brushes. Um, <laughs> if it yeah, smells that amazing, it? yeah, brush licking might be a problem. Um, do not get an eyes. Do not get on skin or clothing. Do not breathe fumes. <laughs> uh, keep out of your children. <laughs> so do not put this in your mouth. So we shouldn't have let Tom hold on to the, the container. He can't be trusted. No, not at all. So Well, but one huff is not going to... <laughs> Famous last words. <laughs> we'll put that on your tombstone. I guess. One huff was not gonna wreck it, but um, one huff is never enough. Is never enough. So um, yeah, I don't know where else to go with this. I do. Have a, okay, um, more questions. Yeah, because sure. you know uh, that's how we can be useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any cautions? Like, have you tried using this? Have you had, had any colossal failures using this stuff or situations where you wouldn't? Um, nothing totally out of the uh, cautionary tales yet for that. Um, I think the one thing might be if you're putting on on a surface that has a crazy amount of bumps and waves. Um, the best example that I can think of is maybe like a tree stump or like a tree where you actually get into the crack. Like a fur cloak or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that might be a little bit more cautionary of like how can you remove everything without being any uh, residue like left over. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be a cautionary tale to try. Most of the stuff, like I said, it hasn't really been like very deep recesses. So that hasn't been an issue at all. So, do, yeah. do, in other words, do deep recesses or anything with a lot of detail maybe last, uh, so that you mask the other areas instead. The other, the other way that you can think of is if you layer on <coughs> so much of the stuff on those recesses, it should be easy to pull off with it pulling everything out at the same time. Or if you put it like a thin layer on, and you have to try to like rub it off a little bit. Uh, harder than you. I know you guys. Wow. wow. Then you we might have to. Anything. You might have. <laughs> yeah, we just shared a look. <laughs> no, you, you started to snicker. You guys going to Boston Pizza later? <laughs> <laughs> you know it. But then you might have to rub a little bit harder to remove the latex. And can you just maybe. can you just phrase it the way we all want you to? You just got to rub a little bit harder to get it off. To get it off. Yeah. Thank absolutely. you. Absolutely. So that would be cautionary. Okay, I guess we can uh, just go into the puck system. So, Ward, how many pucks would you rate? Uh, this oddly looks like a stack of pucks-shaped tube mm, or container. Yes, I would say I'm going to go with four. Four out of the five pucks. I mean, it's a good amount that you get. It's versatile, which is really handy. Um, the only thing would be, I think, probably the smell <laughs> And the dangers of putting it in your mouth. The general toxicity. Yes. It doesn't um, actually say poisonous on it, though. It says just irritant, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you could develop superpowers from it rather than die. It's possible, I guess. <laughs> well, you're not going to die. It's not poisonous. It's, it doesn't say it's toxic. It's an irritant. So, it's a cautionary tale to not put it on you. Mm-hmm. Don't you put it in your mouth. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> you oh, Canadian childhood TV memories. <laughs> right? Um, so yeah. I, I give it a four overall, so I, I haven't had any real issues. Uh, clean lines would be the other difficulty that it has, um, just depending on how you apply straight it, lines. right? So straight lines, yeah. Yeah. So. 
I I want to give it a three because I think it's actually about the size of three pucks. Oh. Um, but I feel like I should give it a four because it's a really versatile product. You can do a lot of different stuff with it mm-hmm. for masking, uh, be it weathering or just straight up masking off areas so you don't have to worry about bleed over with an airbrush. And it's cheap. Like, really. I can't imagine going through, unless you're doing commissions day in, day out as your source of income, this is probably going to last you like five years. It, yeah, it's it's not going to disappear on you very quick. Because, I mean, like, if you're doing weathering, it's just taking a sponge and taking, like, little dabs out of the pot that you're not even going to see a difference in the level. And yeah, 20 bucks for a product for five years is solid. Yeah. I feel like the bigger concern is, much like the crackle paste and the pumice gel and other things that I use, it's actually actually a lot like super glue in a lot of cases, too. Trying to, like, use it all before it dries up might be the concern, so... Well, I bought this pretty much almost when we came back from Vegas. So close to six months, and again, it still had, like, a nice flow to it. So there, when I initially opened it, there was a slight film on it, but that was it. It wasn't really taking away from any of the product itself. Yeah, so, like, with the tubs of that size, my only concern might be uh, if, if, rather than using it straight out of the pot, like, maybe transfer some to a pallet or something like that... It Does dries you, fast, like I said, though. But you could maybe try putting it Which into a smaller... Which is kind of why I don't want to leave the lid off, you know what I mean? Well, why don't you... What I would probably do, then, is actually get some small pots. Because you can get them at any hobby store. Uh, just empty pots. Fill those. So then you can only have it open for about 30 seconds while you're filling another pot. Then you're using the smaller kind of 5 to 10 mil. I could see that. Like, if, if you encounter any kind of issues with it drying out too quickly on you... Something like that might be worth looking into. And it would cost an extra dollar. Yeah. yeah. What what rating, then, would you give it, then? Well, I, if I can't put it in my mouth, I can't give it any more than a three. <laughs> Fair enough. Needs to be at least four. <laughs> oh, man, I'm, I'm so bad right now. Mike? Oh, God. Uh, I'm going to give it a three because I couldn't find the stuff that I really wanted to try. Because <laughs> you're Ooh. mad at minimum wage employees. Yes. <laughs> well, maybe maybe in a few years they'll be more reliable. When they're making 15 bucks? Yeah. yeah. Although I, I did read on the internet, which is never wrong, if your minimum wage goes up, your take-home income goes down because people don't know how to do tax math. It's quite funny. Especially tax math. T- tax math well below. Yeah, like... Like any real tax bracket. (laughs) (laughs) People trying to convince you that, like, if your wage goes from $10 an hour to $15, you are going to get less take-home money on your paycheck? Like, nah, that's that's not how math works. I really, really... No, like, just... No, but I will tell you the Rebel Media (laughs) is a really reliable resource for all things economics and politics in Alberta. It's on the internet, so it must be true. Right? Okay. Thanks, Ezra LeVon. Don't sue me. (laughs) Uh, isn't he a lawyer? Don't sue me. Yeah, but I can't imagine he's a good lawyer. True. And I can't imagine he listens to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, <'cause, laughs> you know, I would be so... The, I did three. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the... <laughs> ama- if we actually got sued by a relatively notable political figure in Alberta, that would probably do a lot for the podcast. So, and really... <laughs> go ahead and sue me for lots of money. I don't have lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's move on. Um, and this is one that's, it's kind of been, a, this is a topic that's been brewing for a little while for us, where uh, some of us have been noticing some trends amongst the gaming community um, where it's not a very inclusive place. And we're not talking about painting or any of that kind of stuff. We're talking about actually making it accessible to all people who love nerd stuff. 
So, Dan, you're the one that actually pitched this to me initially. Do you want to go from there? Yeah, it all kind of like came up for me when I, I was watching some YouTube videos and stuff from a game designer, and they do like some Twitch streams and stuff like that. But they were there was a recording of a panel that they did. Um, shoot, I can't remember if it was like at PAX or something like that. But a lot of it was about like inclusiveness in the gaming industry because it completely blew my mind. I, it's one of those things where. In a lot of cases, you probably assume it's not that bad. Because, like, I'm not an asshole, so probably a lot of other people aren't assholes, too. But when it's to a point where female game designers won't go out in public to game stores or gaming conventions or anything else, because it is just a nonstop shit show of harassment, that's a fucking problem. Like, that is a serious issue. And the people who are literally the brains behind these products or the people that make the game, when they can't go to a convention and show off their own product because they're just gonna get hassled they're gonna get harassed it's or death threats that is very much a thing too like it is it kind of puts that into like you can't deny it it's even if it's something that we don't necessarily see personally firsthand because we are not women like it is it's a much bigger issue than i would have expected and for me one of the ones that really kind of struck home was a good friend of ours avid miniature gamer and a vocal feminist and vocal member of, she, I believe she's on Geek and Sundry. Yep. Got a book coming out. Uh, Terry, um, ha- I've seen on various Facebook groups locally where people have been very rude and offensive towards her for saying things like, you know what? As a woman, page five in War Machine makes me feel uncomfortable. And that's, that's not an unreasonable statement. That's like. And I remember I couldn't understand how the fuck it got to this because I watched the video front to back and I'm like, okay, I got to see everything that she says just to like, just to see. And it starts with, I love War Machine. I love the people that play War Machine. I love the background of the game. I love the miniatures of the game. But this one little detail makes me uncomfortable. It makes me less inclined to feel included in the War Machine community. And do you want to sum up page 5 for those who maybe aren't as familiar? Well, page 5 basically, what it used to be, because it's gone now, which will tie in later, um, what it was, was a page outlining the general gaming etiquette for War Machine. And it was summarized at the very bottom with um, some... Play like, like you the, the line is play like you got a pair. And I think it was um, above all else, or like at the end of the day or something, play like you've got a pair. And a lot of guys would found this kind of funny. And, you know, I'm going to be totally honest with you as well. Like, when I first read page five, I chuckled. I was, like, 19. Um, and there's definitely been growth since then. But we don't actually... And not just in terms of your, like, shirt size? <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> or beard. Let's give me a little bit of credit here. Sure. Um, <laughs> But I, I think we we really have a hard time uh, understanding what it's like to be on the outside, which is fucking weird because most of us gamers grew up as the weirdos on the outside <laughs> and now have this group of lots of people that we're now part of where we're perpetuating this notion of forcing people to the outside and not creating space for people to feel comfortable playing with toy soldiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd think we would have learned our lesson about exclusionary practices and just generally being an asshole. Maybe not so fun for everyone involved. Maybe don't do it. Yeah, like... Some people seem to have forgotten that lesson. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And especially when you think about how many of us were started gaming in high school or junior high and were 
I don't, I don't know about all of the gamers out there, but it wasn't something I was flaunting to all of the people at high school. Like, I had my friends that I talked to about it, but it wasn't like I'd be, like, bringing my models at lunch hour to paint. Yeah, the, the Because first- I had aspirations of having a girlfriend, and in my mind, at that time, these were mutually exclusive things. <laughs> well, the first experience I ever had with anything Warhammer-related was there was somebody in, I think it was junior high, he was reading the LR Codex, like, you know, very publicly, like, in front of his face at, like, the lunchroom table sort of a thing, and there was kind of, like, a 30-foot no-fly zone radius around him at the time, so it was not a great first impression of, this will enhance your social life. (laughs) Right? Um, And so I never, I've never understood how, sorry, that's not entirely true. There's actually a lot of theories behind why um, the groups will actually become exclusionary after having been excluded before, but it's on a pragmatic level never made any sense to me. Of like, you've been treated shitty in your life, why does that mean you have to perpetuate that kind of shitty stuff onto other people? And I think most of the tone of what we're going to be talking about today is actually specifically in regards to inclusiveness towards women in miniature gaming but it's also for people in the queer in the queer community where the number of times i hear people say all kinds of things like that's so gay or that faggot or these things and why or that's retarded like you don't have to say these things like these are all words that mean nothing to you other than i like saying it and can actually have a dramatic impact on someone else's life because you're directly excluding them all the time And you don't realize the impact that this has on people if you're not part of that group. Because for you, it it doesn't matter. And I'll say this right now: I'm the cisgendered straight white male in like middle class. Like I've I have nothing but privilege, right? So I've never really experienced these things. And so it, it took a little bit of time to kind of restructure my brain to the point where it was just. If someone told me that they were in a situation where they were experiencing the opposite side of privilege, um, kind of more of an oppressive scenario, and I know a lot of people get really uppity when you hear the word oppressive because they think it has to be this like Syrian refugee, war-torn country kind of thing. But it can, without getting into microaggressions, it can oppression can exist in all ways, shapes, and forms in many contexts. And if you're not experiencing it, you just don't see it. It's there. Because if you ask the women or the visible minorities or whatever that are in these communities, a lot of them have a horror story or 12. Yeah. Like or more. And a, like hats, hats off to those that are actually like encountering that and still willing to, in spite of some of the shittiness, still continue on with the hobby that they love and are passionate about. Like that takes some courage for sure. Yeah. So... Bit of a preamble rant aside, we're kind of hoping to break this down into some like actual, meaningful ways that people can um, create a space that is more inclusive. And so I believe the, the plan was to start with games manufacturers. Yeah, so the actual games designers and that sort of thing, like what can they do to give like a broader appeal and just like a general more inclusive space for their games? And I think, honestly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hats off to Privateer Press right now. Because I, I would I would agree with that because when thinking about like female designers or painters, I feel that they are the top company that names come to mind. 
So you know that there's designers, there's painters for that company. Uh, and they took the proactive step, or I don't even know what's proactive really, but they took the step of taking out page five because people weren't comfortable. That's what I was going to say. They, they actually like listened to the, the fan base and removed something that made people feel uncomfortable. Yeah, and and here's my favorite thing is there's a lot of people that criticized Privateer Press for that because it was taking out something of the game. No, no, it took out nothing of the game. All it did was make it so that people, anyone could walk in, read the rule book, flip to page five, and not feel shitty about themselves. That's it. That's the only change that actually happened. Yeah, that's really not such a big deal. But uh, it helps for those that were uncomfortable. It removed an obstacle to gaming. And, like, I know Privateer Press can typically does a little bit more sexualized uh, women. There are a lot more women, especially in prominent roles of power, uh, within Warcasters or Warlocks in that game than, I would argue, most of the miniature games out there. They're still, like, super sexy and whatnot, but it is changing. And I was talking with a lot of the developers when I was down there, and they're actually spitballing the idea of having... Because they do a pinup model every year, mm-hmm. and they're actually... Some of the developers are pushing, and some of the designers are pushing to at some point have a pinup dude. It works for Kevin Hasselfree Miniatures. That dude sculpts a lot of dong, and he's not gone out of business. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And he makes great models. And you know what? Fantastic sculptor and just overall cool dude. I like right. Him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and not only that, but he also is one of the sculptors. I'm going to give this guy a massive shout out because he'll never listen to our podcast anyways. But <laughs> I just want to say this right now. He actually makes miniatures in every shape and form. Any body type that exists on the planet, he's made a miniature of. And that's men, that is women, that is children, it's anything. And it just so happens that his process for sculpting is when he sculpts the model, like he starts with the armature and all the other stuff, but he sculpts like the full nude anatomy of every model before, and often casts them as well, because Damon will cast them off and he'll like put them up um, as just miniatures to buy on the website. But then... He will sculpt on the clothing and the armor and the weapons and all the other stuff. Like, it's... But, like, yeah, if he sculpts a half-ogre barbarian with plate mail and a sword, at some point there will be a half-ogre dong with a turtleneck sculpted on that model. Like, that's just... <laughs> that's his thing. That's and the process. it's been an issue a couple times on the website as well, where when he does sculpt some of these realistic proportion body types sort of thing... Some people are like, oh, are you going to like put some pants on that woman? Because that, that's kind of offensive to me. And he's just like, in what fucking universe do you get to draw the line there? It's like, no, like, that's not the deal. He's like, if you want the hot chicks, you get the, you get the realistic body types. You get the men. You get the full package. <laughs> Quite literally. <laughs> in this case, it is the full package. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. I think, and he has a good, I think he has a good approach to it as well, where he's not like, outright hostile but he's willing to have that conversation of like w- like why is why do you draw the line there like what's the issue how can we talk about this and like get everybody on board that we're just sculpting miniatures like yeah the, the half worker barbarian whatever he was naked too you weren't complaining then like why do we have these random arbitrary lines in the sand and like what do they mean and how can we challenge them kind of a thing so hats off to him and Again, one of his employees got, I think, temporarily banned from Facebook for a while for handling a little bit more aggressively this situation. So maybe we, yeah, there's things to be learned there too. Like you got to keep it civil, but you know, it's hats off to him for sure for standing up for what they believe in and trying to like change the minds and just get people on the same page. Right? So you're talking about companies that how 
how can they include uh, more into uh, the business itself? So what were your thoughts on that? Well, I was thinking that one of the main things that you can do, and it's dead fucking simple, and yet a lot of companies, not just in gaming, but in general, don't do it, is just, like, have women in the workplace. And, like, don't just hire men for every position, because if you're worried about, a broad, like, broadening your appeal, if you have a broader range of people that are working on the products, designing the products, that sort of a thing, it's going to very organically become, like, a more broad appeal and inclusive product just because the people have those sensibilities when they're working on it and especially if it's like a very visible like game designer or sculptor or something like that where you you get to know the people that are behind the company Mm -hmm. like it's just even if it's just a subconscious thing in the back of your mind like knowing that there's female sculptors or like a female ceo or whatever it's it's i don't it's just going to make things a little bit more open and accepting i think really and I, <clears throat> when you look at it from a business standpoint, because, you know, me without any business training means I can make all kinds of wild claims. All the calls. Um, but you look at comic books and video games and that market share of of women who are consumers of those two products is growing all the time. It's basic. It might as well be 50-50 in a lot of markets now. Which 20 years ago wasn't. Yeah. And so to say that right now miniature gaming is the playground for men... Okay, maybe it is right now, but the question shouldn't be, or the the comment shouldn't be, therefore it stays for men. It should be, how can we make it so that everyone can feel comfortable playing with these toys? Yeah, because if there's if there's fifty percent of the player base for World of Warcraft playing like a fantasy video game, why is it still that like maybe it could even it's potentially like ninety plus percent male audiences for a lot of the Warhammer games or any of the other miniature games, and the themes are there, the genres are there. Even just some of the the hobby games, like uh, I'll throw Magic as an example too. Like, what five years ago, you were hard pressed to see like a girl at a Magic event, and then uh, lately at like Roy's event, you see a handful of girls here and there like that are partaking in it. So they are showing interest in those those other graphic demographics. And, and I mean, even Game of Thrones has gone a long way too, because like virtually every girl my age that I talk to, they're huge Game of Thrones fans. So, like, fantasy is a genre, mm-hmm. and to some extent sci-fi as well. Like, they, like it's in, it's part of, like, the cultural whatever. Like, it's part of the, the fabric of our culture now. So Can not, we almost go so far as to say zeitgeist? I was really trying to find <laughs> another word. <laughs> I've read that way too many times in university, but uh, really trying to find a better word for that. So you're talking about hiring um, employees for the companies. Um, The other thing that I would possibly suggest is um, including them more in their uh, published materials. So White Dwarf just made a comeback that we talked about last week. Mm -hmm. So seeing more articles with maybe females writing or females featured as like an army of the month or something like that. The previous time around that they did the White Dwarf redesign... They actually did have a lot of, like, in the beginning of the magazine, they would kind of introduce the staff that would work on the magazine. Mm-hmm. And there was, like, a pretty good representation of women working on the magazine back then, too. The, the, they I'm not were, sure if it's still the same. I don't, like, I can't buy the White Dwarf. It's sold out everywhere. So I don't know if they did any Red, of that. Like, Red here's Claw, the staff. But Red Claw, I just picked up one. But it's so far away. It is far away. <laughs> uh, but I know that they were very, um, they had a good representation in the heavy metal team. So mm-hmm. there's quite a few uh, girls on the team there itself. Um, but even just, like, articles about, like, they always do, like, well, they used to. Um, but they had a 
uh, Army of the Month article. So this white dwarf was the Eldar. So possibly articles with like girls and their armies uh, would be advantageous, or including a girl in the Tale of Four Painters and that sort of thing too. So I think we could see progression that way, and that's an easy way for the companies to also include more females. In, and in I, th- I think for me, a lot of it's doing it in a way that's not pandering, right? Like, yeah. if you're doing it from this very, like, oh, and we're getting our token girl, no. <laughs> you just have to have the space for everyone to be involved. Like, it's... And it actually kind of weirds me out, to be totally honest with you. We're even having this conversation. Because... it And you always would see it pop up on message boards all the time of this is... Just... I'm just gonna try and close this door. Close it. Wait, you don't like the sound of jet engines? Right? Um, best audio quality ever for an episode. Uh, but no, the, you see it on a message board like every six months or Facebook, whatever else. Like, how, how many girls play these games? And invariably, it's just like a bunch of dudes be like, well, I think I saw a girl once. Yeah, no, like there was a girl that played these games once. And, the, and they're like talking about them like they're fucking white rhinos or unicorns or some shit like that. And, and the worst part is, and I'm going to say this right now because we were talking about this earlier, is if if you're interacting with women, I know I'm totally getting way ahead of myself, but it's just part of the tangent here. If, if there's women out, out gaming, don't act like you've never seen one before. Hey, that's my line. <laughs> I totally stole it, but yeah. <laughs> I just, it, it felt like it was coming in there. Yeah. But it's, and but at the same token, when it comes to inclusion in the actual manufacturing end of it, just... Don't make it, don't make it a token position. Don't have it be like we brought in this girl so that we can appeal to girls. Have it be that we brought in this girl because we value the fact she fucking knows what she's talking about and probably has really good ideas for making this game better as a whole. And it is worth pointing out that as a game, as a like corporate game designer, you know, type person on the business side, you really do have to go out of your way to encourage and empower women to apply for your jobs because you can't just have an open call and have it be like part of the job description is oh like women encouraged to apply because that that is ultimately not not, not enough because a lot of women won't be looking there in the first place but if there are women for example that you know are good writers that are good sculptors that are good concept artists you have to encourage them you have to empower them and just remind them that hey we're trying to build a place that is a good positive place for you to work and you would be wel- like a welcome addition to our team so it, you can't just do the open casting call, or no, I can't think of the word. You can't just put it in the job posting. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Is like you know, women encouraged to apply? Like you do have to go out of your way a little bit because there is already that barrier to application. Because a lot of them don't, a lot of women don't think they would be welcome or would be encouraged or what have you. And like it is going to take a little bit of conscious effort to break down those barriers and empower people to apply for those positions. But it is worth doing. It is going to ultimately give you. That broader appeal and just, yeah, there's the pragmatic side of you might sell more product, but there's also just you're being a better person and creating a better environment and yeah. it just works out for So for time's <laughs> sake, let's move on to the next thing we're going to talk about, which is what can local store owners or TOs, TOs do to actually promote more inclusiveness in the hobby? Where do you have any thoughts as a prominent TO? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Um... As a TO, um, I mean, the biggest thing is if I if I make a comment, it could call something out into question. And I mean, 
I find girls more than welcome to come to the events, but you typically don't see them out because of sometimes the stigma already with the community or what have you, right? So um, I would hope that they could come to the event. I don't think my event is, or any event really, is that exclusive um, for the, the girls in the yeah, community. Yeah. But again, like you said, like you don't really see things when you're the one that's involved. So. And I, I think what I would... <clears throat> From what I've from what I've read, I, I would recommend one of the single biggest things that TOs and gate and store owners could do is create an environment that is has a zero tolerance level. Like the, every starts, fucking year after San Diego Comic Con, you hear about some asshole that was running around grabbing asses, slapping tits. If it was only one asshole doing that, that would be like a record. Yeah, but it's like <laughs> all of this. It's it's all this stuff. These these guys. Um, that are getting away with this stuff, and it's got to come down from the store owners, and it's got to come down from the TOs to be on top of it. Mm-hmm. And it starts prior to the event itself. Like, if there are Facebook communities or forums or other, you know, other gathering places where people are socializing and everything, you do have to lay the groundwork for that in advance, and just yeah, have it be like you don't have to be like super aggressive and picking fights all the time necessarily, but it does need to be part of the culture of the group that, you know, we're going to be open, we're going to be inclusive, and we're not going to tolerate people being a-holes to each other. It is not helpful. And, like, I honestly think... I <clears throat> I like to swear a lot. I like to say bad things a lot. But you know what? If, if I'm playing in a tournament and I'm... And let's let's say hypothetically I said I just lost that was so gay. You know what? As a TO, you should come to me if you're creating a space that's safe and say that's strike one. Right? And a lot of it can be language, right? And so if I'm gaming in a church, I don't swear like I do on my podcast that's 18 plus or that we recommend people like this is a space that I can swear and be vulgar and it's okay because we've established this is what we can do. Um but actually having controls for language people are using in the space and created as such, not a bad idea. Yeah, and if you can, and if you give people like that opportunity to reform their behavior and like, no, we want you to be part of this community and everything, but we have these standards, we have these expectations that we hold ourselves to. So, yeah, if you want to keep participating, we would ask that you not use that word or that behavior or whatever in the future. And if they continue to offend, there's the door. Yeah. You've been warped. That's all it is. Yeah, I think in a lot of cases it's laying that groundwork and whether it's in the Facebook discussions or elsewhere, like it's not just on the event itself, but if you can sort of like cultivate that, you know, positive attitude in advance, it might, you know, down the road begin to manifest itself in the signups and in the participation in the events in the future. But even talking about the specific events, you can put it in the player's pack, right? Like... We we expect a certain level of conduct from people. If you're being overtly offensive, you will be given a warning. If you continue said behavior, you'll be ejected from the event. Yeah, yeah. No, that's very true. Right? That could be in a player's pack, and that can be enforced. So, and and this is, when we're talking about inclusiveness, too, like I've said before, this, it's not just women. Obviously, that's a large portion of what we're going for, but <clears throat> the number of times, you, you know how easy it is if, you, if you're called out? And, you know, in all honesty, I was called out on using the word retarded a few years ago. And you know how easy it was to just completely switch that to be ridiculous? 
You know, you know what word doesn't offend anyone? Ridiculous. It's you can absolutely one for one transfer those, like switch those words around. And as a TO, if you are able to enforce that stuff, or as a store owner, if you're able to enforce that stuff, mm-hmm. solid. You create your culture and have a backbone about it. Don't be afraid to hold people to the standard that you're holding, that you're asking them to be at. Yeah, because if you have that pervasive culture of, you know, being exclusionary and being offensive to other people, it's not like that's going to help your bottom line either, right? Like, you, there, you don't have to worry, just don't worry so much about the consequences about standing up for your values, because creating a positive environment will have those, like, you know, ultimate bottom line impacts that'll be positive, so it's worth doing. Yeah. So, moving on to the players. Well, I like to, again, you, it's my freaking line of act like you've seen a woman before. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I just, <laughs> I'm a little mad that you stole my thunder there, but like that is one that I've said it so many times because like I, I play video games like MechWarrior Online and stuff like that, and some of those games have a very active forum and internet community, and it does happen sometimes where somebody has a very obviously female screen name or just they very overtly like, hey, as a woman playing the game, and then people like lose their shit and act like, you know, 12-year-olds. You can steal my line if you want. What was your line again? <laughs> Big Lebowski quotes? Or, like, just don't be a dick. Never mind. But, like, just <laughs> end of the day, don't be a dick. Yeah, and going out of your way, calling people out, harassing or catcalling or doing any of these stupid things, it's just completely unnecessary. It's not flattering anyone. Nobody wants that in a public venue. It's just... Treat them like any other person. Be nice. Be inclusive. Be like, just don't be a dick. And don't troll for the sake of trolling. Yeah. You know what's <laughs> never a good idea? You know what's the lowest form of humor on the planet? Fucking trolling. I can't stand it. If somebody trolls, that's it. I, I can't. Yeah. And somebody who, <clears throat> to me, it's if somebody is taking joy out of actively trying to piss somebody off that you don't know, that you don't have any history with is totally inappropriate. The being an asshole. Yeah. Like, there's no two ways around it, especially if it's some, if it's a random person. Like, if it's someone that you've maybe briefly encountered on the interweb somewhere, and then you just start rolling into trolling them, and this whole devil's advocate for the sake of, you know what, there's some spaces where that shit doesn't matter. You can't just... Be the guy being contrarian and say, oh, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Fuck you. Like, fuck you. Because you do not get to just arbitrarily use that as an excuse for being an asshole. Or or the other common thing for being an asshole but saying that you're not is like, well, no offense, but. If you ever say no offense, <laughs> but, you're being an asshole. I don't mean to sound racist, but. <laughs> but you're being racist. Like, come on. I don't mean to sound sexist, but. Like, fuck like, like oh. you've already at that point identified that you're crossing some lines. So just why even continue the statement? Yeah, just be a fucking decent human being. <laughs> I feel I, like I, that's not an outrageously high bar to set. Look, and and this is the thing. And I on know the internet, I think it is nowadays. <laughs> on the internet, on the internet, you've got the um, the shell to hide behind, right? So, but I mean, like in person, typically gamers that go to events tend to get weeded out fairly quickly if they are the asshole, so... But that being said, and we can talk about our local experience, but there's not, there, the reality is there's not a lot of women that play games locally, and we could say that as a, 
we don't have evidence for our community being negative towards women, mm-hmm. or we could use that as evidence of maybe we're not that inclusive as a community, and that's why it's not been fostered. And that's why they're not coming out Because who outside of Terry comes to events regularly? Leanne, maybe. Leanne would come Leanne? to events, and then I have... Steph a- used to. Kun? Yeah, she played in one or two prior events. I do have a Rebecca that signed up for Age of Sigmar uh, this October. A so. Rebecca? You know how fucking token that sounds? <laughs> I, I haven't met her. I haven't but met like, her, so. But you know what I mean, right? And it's... Uh, so a lot of it's just making that conscious effort. And I know that I'm a little... This is a, this is a topic that charges me a little bit. Because, I've, like I said, I've seen my friends have shitty memes done up about them when they were trying to just say, this makes me uncomfortable. Like, they're... I don't feel super happy with how this is done. Not... Fuck all you men. There's this weird fucking mentality of all feminists hate men, and that's bullshit. All feminists just want to be safe and have a space where they can be comfortable. That's yeah. it. Like, they just, if they're a female gamer, they probably just want to play with toy soldiers and roll dice like any of the other one uh, of us. Why are we making it hard for them? Yeah. Like, and actively. So, <laughs> so what I would say as a solution is... While TOs have to hold ourselves, hold people accountable for the spaces they want to create, we have to hold each other accountable. Yeah, and if everyone has that mentality of feeling empowered to, like, take somebody aside and just be like, okay, you're maybe new to this community or whatever, you don't understand our standards or where we're coming from, but, like, we don't permit this kind of behavior, so we'd appreciate it if you would just, like lay off and, you know, play by the rules a little bit and treat people with respect and decency. And if you can do that, we would love to have you be a contributing member to our community. It doesn't have to be a vilification. Just have that constructive conversation and everyone can be empowered to do that. Like if you see someone at a tournament being an a-hole to a female or a minority or, you know, someone of, you know, like the queer community, like you were saying, Tom, any, any of these situations... Like, it's not the end of the world to tap somebody on the shoulder and just be like, like, hey, would you mind laying off? Like, that's that's not the kind of atmosphere that we're trying to build here. And if the people that are being sh- shat on a little bit, like, or have being mistreated see that, they'll be like, hey, this guy's got my back. Yeah. So they're not necessarily going to be scared off. They might, like, okay, there's encouragement. If something bad happens, it will be taken care of. It'll be... Address and I can feel safe to come back next time. And you can be you can be decent about it, right? Yeah. Don't this is this is what I would recommend. Do not respond on a public forum. If you see something shitty on Facebook, send a private message. Right? Because <clears throat> it's just gonna escalate. And I've had situations before where I've seen something shitty and it's been a friend of mine and I've called it out in a private message and it's been taken down or whatever, right? Like, yeah. you, you can... A lot of people will respond better to that than, like, public shaming. You know what I mean? Every once in a while, some... And this is where the line is. Sometimes you don't always make the right choice. And there's been moments where I've been really pissed off or triggered by seeing something that I fucking saw, and I've just... I've, I've done the response on Facebook. It normally escalates. Yeah, that's kind of the way of the flame war, right? But it's... But if you can encourage people and empower them to constructively and like healthily deal with it and just be like, yeah, the behavior is a problem. We don't necessarily have a problem with you. It's the behavior. If you are willing to curb the behavior, keep playing with us, keep rolling dice, like we can get along. 
Yeah, and like I know for a fact I am not always going to say the right thing. I'm not always going to do the right thing. But if someone comes up to me and says, hey, that was bad, it's not them saying, hey, you're a shitty person. It's saying that thing bothered me. So you have to be able to take it as well, right? It's not just about giving the criticism. It's about receiving it properly and not getting defensive and not not getting reactionary towards it and just being like, oh, shit, I didn't realize I can change that. That is so easy to do. So, it's so fucking easy. I, I don't understand. <laughs> I just, I don't understand where it's coming from and why it still is this way. And I think for me, <clears throat> one of the one of the best quotes relevant to this being super Canadian politics, by the way, is when Justin Trudeau was asked about his cabinet and how it was half men and half women. and Which is a revolutionary thing in politics still. Yeah, which is fucked in its own right. And his response was, yeah, it's 2016. At the time, it was 2015. So Whatever. Yeah. Still. <laughs> yeah, but it's just like... We've, we know better. At this point, we know better. We can hold ourselves to that standard. There's really nothing stopping us. And there's a lot to gain for everyone involved in just having a healthier place to fucking roll dice and play with toy soldiers or whatever. Yeah, and... There's no need I to feel like organize. I, I feel like I've said this too much lately, but just because we play with toy soldiers doesn't mean we have to act like children. Like, sure, again, we love our dick and fart jokes on this podcast, and that will never go away. No, no, that's just you and Dan. <laughs> it really is. It's just you and Dan. I said we. I didn't have to be like all of us. It wasn't the royal we. We was Dan and I. <clears throat> um, I'm going to throw Steve under that bus, too. He loves oh, those jokes. Oh, he loves them. But, like, you can be immature about some things and then still be a responsible adult about others. Yeah, you can still have a reasonable set of boundaries that stop you from becoming an offensive prick. This is going to turn people off of what should be a fun, lighthearted hobby. And and, and this is going to be me going out on a bit of a limb here. But is the idea of being able to go to a Warhammer tournament and having it be half women really that bad? Like, if, like, come on, nerds, be better. Like, (laughs) I'm going to stop here. I could rant for probably another half hour. Anything else you guys want to add in on this before we uh, move on to the last one? We're going to actually talk about gaming stuff and... Uh, I would just hope that if you did have an issue at an event, I mean, like, organizers uh, and volunteers are sometimes um, busy running around or whatever, but if you did have an issue, I'd hope that you tell the organizers so that they can address that issue uh, at the event, so. Yeah, because I think, hopefully, most event organizers are going to be reasonable, inclusive people and willing to step up to the plate and deal with the problem situations as they arise. So. And if, they're, if they weren't before, they will be after listening to this podcast. I'll, like, fuck, half the T.O.'s in Edmonton are in this room. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. So they know what's going on. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. all I got. Okay. So, uh, I do want to thank you listeners for bearing with that one. Now let's get on to some Warhammer content. <laughs> yeah, on the lighter side. <laughs> on the lighter side. Uh, what the fuck, Warhammer Fantasy? Where did you come from, and why is there so many of you? <laughs> I thought it was dead. Like, I had written the whole thing off, like, four years ago. 
the the nice thing is with with the death of Games Workshop's Warhammer Fantasy is that a lot of different mantles have been taken up. So there's three major systems that we want to talk about tonight. Uh, Age of Sigmar um, that Games Workshop has continued um, their fantasy version. Uh, Wrath oh, with points and everything. With points and everything now. And a competitive system. Yeah, Kings of War, which again uh, really. Focus on the big regiment size units and such, uh, and was the most active carrion on the carcass of Warhammer Fantasy. Right away, right off the bat, sort of thing. They didn't even wait till the body cooled. No, so. it was it was a rumor <laughs> that Warhammer Fantasy was dying, and they were already going on Facebook saying, "Just so you know, we're gonna have rules for all these models when this game dies." And yeah. then, uh, and then Ninth Age as well, Ninth Age Fantasy. So basically, continue on continuation of the uh, GW rule set. Um, Fan-based adjusted. Yes, absolutely. And then uh, they've also adjusted for new units and models that have come out. Come out. So there's been a lot of different options for those um, fantasy players that used to play the old GW games, which is amazing. And they seem to have all kind of like found uh, a system that they have preferred. So that... And then there is nothing wrong with that. So your toy soldiers uh, are not going in the rubbish bin. You can actually use them still. And the first two systems to sell it for onslaught. Yeah. So yeah. I, I initially expanded room for extra players, and they have sold out again. So initially, <laughs> initially I was capping both systems at um, sixteen players, and I originally was not going to be running Ninth Age, and I was petitioned by several different individuals that I should really consider uh, doing it. So looking at the numbers and seeing about room at the venue and that sort of thing, I said that uh, I could try to make something work, and bang, right away out of the gates. Uh, there's been a lot of interest. So I've yeah, sold out both at 24 now instead of the, the 16, and I've created a, an on-deck waiting list for both systems, so if you are interested still, you can still sign up. With, but considering like other game systems, Fantasy... Awesome job, not gonna lie. And I want to just <clears throat> quick tangent here. If you're gonna tell a TO to run an event for you, don't show up with one or two friends and then get angry when it's not run the next year. Do this. <laughs> be like, hey Ward, you should really run Ninth Age, and be like, ah, I don't know. Be like, no, run Ninth Age, and then three weeks later, it's fucking sold out. Like, <laughs> 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 you done good, kids. Yeah, so pretty badass. I mean, each each has a different like strength and weakness for sure. So um, I'd like to talk about. Let's go with ninth, ninth age first. So the advantages of ninth age and people that have um, started playing it is that it's a continuation of eighth age. So if you do have a Warhammer Fantasy army, you can still continue it on with this new edition, uh, essentially that it is. You don't um, have to worry about round bases or any of that stuff. <laughs> you don't have to if rebase. you like your movement trays... You don't have to rebase all your Skaven. Oh, you, God. <laughs> if you spent those hundreds of hours arranging Skaven trays... <laughs> yes, and don't forget, and, uh, some of us did some heavy work on our bases, too, so there's, I don't want to go back and chip off crystals and little rocks and <laughs> snow and water effects and redo the whole thing over again. Yeah, you're like, good. You're good. Yeah. We get it. Yeah. Um, so it's awesome that it's a continuation of that, and they've they've modified the names, of course, of all the different armies, so you can't have the same. Yeah. Uh, lizard. They've members. avoided copyright. Yes. So you have the uh, undying like legions for uh, your tomb kings and yeah. the vampire covenants for vampire counts and that sort of thing. Um, so the the ad- the oryx for orcs because like, who would call it an orc anyways. 
Uh, no, it still works in goblins. I know. That was, <laughs> <laughs> that was maybe me being a little cheeky. <laughs> um, but again, if you've played the 8th uh, edition fantasy, it's not a huge, like, leap and bounds. So they've modified some of the rules, uh, little tweaks. Uh, the living rule book is really nice. You can just download it in PDF format. They've actually like highlighted any uh, changes that they've made Which for the rules. such an awesome practice. I love it when like Fantasy Flight FAQs yep. or whatever. Oh, just the text that has changed since the previous publication is marked in a different color. It is so easy. Perhaps your press it. does it. Weird does it. I'm sure Corvus, Corvus Belly does it or so Such a good Corvus Bella it's, it's an awesome practice it's it's good to go Corvus Belly Infinity People yes there you go <laughs> um, so, that, so that's another great advantage uh, so you got your model still you got like rules right away the only drawback that I can see from it would be continued model ranges um, and also new model ranges Okay, three things then. <laughs> there you go. That's, uh, that's things that I wasn't thinking of. So, like, yeah, new model ranges that come out. Like, they haven't done an army for the Stormcast Eternals, of course, right? So yeah, but they, that would be really hard because you need square bases, and there would be lots and of you're models. starting from square one. Yeah. Oh, that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, Old models that have been discontinued from the GW range, of course. Like the Bretonians recently, like the entire Bretonian range is no longer available. So. People are scrambling to find Tomb Kings still and such, right? So, so there is the demand Keep out there. Keep your hands off mine. I might paint them someday. You don't know exactly. I feel so. like shambling to find undead would be better than scrambling. That would be good, actually. <laughs> I do agree with that. Uh, and then the third is that it is it is um, a fan-base-driven system, so you, the drawback could be, potentially, if those guys lose interest and such, that it could just go the way of the dodo and just disappear. I suppose at this point, it seems likely that somebody else would take up the mantle and just carry... Oh, the, you do know, have that option, too, over. so it might not just die completely outright, but you might have somebody take up the mantle. Hands. Mm-hmm. So at that point, again, you could see some more changes depending on what that group feels that is the best for the game system. Not that there's a wrong thing for that. So, um, And they've they've done a fantastic job so far, uh, from what I can tell, is, is just those mo- little modifications here and there. And the majority has still stayed the same, true to old GW fantasy games. Yeah, and I think for me what it really comes down to is, when I, when I look at this transition, we can get back into the games in a sec, but I think really wanted to talk about how they're actually thriving in a place where fantasy wasn't even that popular in the last few years before it, it died. It has It was um, you look at it's now at a place where you can actually Age of Sigmar excluded. Like there there it's it's its own beast which we can talk about. But for Kings of War and for Ninth Age, if you have twenty eight mil fantasy models, you play with them. It doesn't matter anymore. There's none of this twenty five or fifty or seventy five percent games workshop models bullshit. Like, you can actually use the same model that historical players have been using for years of, does this model work for this unit? Go. So you've got tons of third-party manufacturers that you can utilize without batting an eye. It's never the question of, can I bring my Mantic models to a fantasy tournament? It's If it's Ninth Age, it's Elf is Elf, Orc yeah. is Orc, Human's Human, Dwarf is Dwarf. Like Who's going to tell you no at that point? It's not like there's an official company sponsoring the event or anything. It's... Like, it, it's fan run. It is purely for the players, by the players. 
who the hell's going to turn you away? So at that point, you have way more options for your look of your units, uh, customizing individuality, that Mixing sort of thing. Mixing and matching so. manufacturers for you know the sake of aesthetics or cost effectiveness or whatever. So there's way more create. There's way more option for creativity than there ever was with Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah. Um, and then things like Kings of War, where you're making a tray instead of um, in a bunch of individual bases on a on a movement tray. Where you you can actually do these really cool scenic trays with your models on them, and they have more organic rules for it's about the footprint of the unit size, and then you can as long as you have approximately seventy five percent of the models that would fit in that footprint, have fun, right? Like you can actually any models you want, however you want, is actually kind of appealing, right? Mm-hmm. Like as hobbyists. Because, you know, apparently that's what we aspire to do, even though Mike's the only one that does it. But we aspire <laughs> to do it. I buy things. <laughs> oh, I buy a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the things that I buy show up on time. Usually. Usually. Salt in the wound. Uncool. <laughs> <laughs> womp womp. Um, but yeah, so there's. it's actually... Um, the game of Warhammer Fantasy died, but the idea of fantasy miniature gaming as a community, is actually growing. And now there's choice. The appetite, the appetite was always there. Like, the market was there, and, yeah, the it created a huge niche that other people could then scramble to fill. So it's it's worked out. And so, Mike, you've had a lot of experience with Age of Sigmar. Um, yeah, more, and, more than any of us. Yeah, that, that's really where I was going with this. <laughs> okay. Um, so what are the kind of things that, that you feel is making Age of Sigmar successful in this kind of resurgence of fantasy miniature gaming. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. One of the big things is is they are giving deals, which they weren't before, and those deals are actually still pretty expensive, but compared to what they were before, it is a lot cheaper to get an army now for Age of Sigmar than it was for 8th edition or 9th. You don't you didn't have to have half as many, or you can buy them in a relatively good deal. Like the... Most of the packs now, you're getting one huge model for free. You're referring or to the battle hosts. The battle, the battle, or uh, the get started, start, bundles. get started bundles that yeah. you can get. Right? There's usually a good sixty-five dollars saving on each of those hundred-dollar bundles. So that's a really big start. The other thing is, is they are making it easier access. You don't have to have this. You don't have to have twenty witch elves. You don't have to have. 10 cavalry, you know, it's like 5, 10, 15, and there's no, no, really no limits to, you have to have this before you can move on. It's like, well, yeah, you do, but it's three units, and both those units are easy to get. They're not overly expensive. So you don't have to buy like 100 Empire State Troopers just, yeah, exactly. just to get started. So <laughs> that's a lot more, making a lot more Minimum. Access. Yeah, because it was usually 1,200 plus to get your fantasy army going unless you bought a lot of starter boxes and used those. But if it was straight up buying it, it, it was going to cost you over a grand to get an army started. Yeah, that's why Bits by Weight was so glorious. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, that was... That, I think that was an employee-only thing. Oh, hell yeah. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So, as I'm trying to say, oh, it was price-wise, <laughs> it wasn't accessible. There wasn't any deals that were really going on anymore. And because of these changes, I think it's made it a lot easier for new people to come in. I think that's where the surgeon is. And the old, people, old guys, I think, like me, that are getting back into it are 
is because I don't like a dead system where there's not a lot of new stuff coming in, and that's kind of where Ninth Age is, and that's why it doesn't interest me as much. It's like, yes, I get the models. It's cool, but there's no growth because there's nothing more exciting than, oh, look at that new model. Oh, my God, I need that. Age, Age of Sigmar would be a company-driven system compared to Ninth yeah. Age. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but you look at Warhammer Fantasy and... For the last four years, every book was the same release of now your army gets monsters cavalry, now your army gets a new monster, now your army gets a, a new kit for plastics, but everything else is exactly the same. Right now with Age of Sigmar, if you're getting a new release, you're getting like 90% of a new army with yeah. that release. Like with the Oryx, the only thing that was an old release was the Ard Boys, which are the old Black Works. Yeah. For the Sylvaneth, like the new stuff, I think the Dryads, Dryads. are the only ones the that treatment. are holdover. And the Treeman. The Treeman came out as yeah, a very Yeah, fuck that. That model's right? so new anyways. And yeah. it matches the new aesthetic, like, to a T. It was already To done. a tree. <laughs> it was done. It was clearly done with the new aesthetic in mind. So, for me, it's price, it's new and refreshing, and it's easily accessible and easy to get into. Without killing your your wallet as bad as it used to. Like, the, I just uh, finished buying a full Auric army yeah. for the Iron Jaws, and it was under 400, and I got 2,000 points. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty reasonable compared to what it used to be. Yeah, and to, that's, to me, that's a lot easier access. I don't even think you can get a 40k army for that much anymore. Oh, hell no. Not, Not unless you're doing that stupid list or whatever. Yeah, but, Steve okay, will but talk you know what I'm about. talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, well, hear me out, because he no, always no, says no. you could do 40k on the cheap, and then he describes some concoction of the week. I think if you buy, like, a few Night Titans, then, then you just have... No, they're like... A, well, I guess if you buy... Can you still get that two-for-one bo- yeah, box yeah, yeah, where yeah, it's, like, yeah, two-for-one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure, so if you buy two of those boxes and then, like, some Blood Angels or something, you're probably fine. But, <laughs> um, but I did that, and I got... The big Maw Crusher, I got both of the characters, plus a double. I've got 20 Hard Boys. I've got 20 of the, um, oh, what are they called? The Brutes. You have 20 and, Brutes? Yeah. No, sorry, 10 Brutes. And yeah. I have nine Gore Riders. Gore Grunters. Gore Grunters, yeah. Nine, wow. So you got an extra box on top of the two stars. I bought three boxes. <laughs> there you go. Oh, damn. Well, we can, okay, this is the funny part. The Gore Grunters are 95 bucks if you buy it for yourself. I know. And if you buy this getting started I, box, it's $100, you get Michael, I know. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. What, when I went in, when they first came out, I was like, what one box do I want to buy to work on? And I was like, these Gorgrunters look amazing. Ah, 90, 95 bucks. Fuck, that's expensive, but they're so pretty. So I buy them. And then, like, two months later, they release a box that has three Gorgrunters in it. And for, like, an extra 5 or $10, you get all the things. <laughs> <laughs> so... There we go. That's uh, that's I think the main reason why it is doing so well. And plus, to be honest, it has the GW is known for its fluff, so that does always add to it. And that's that's one of the things that 40k and fantasy alike have both dealt with in the last decade or so. Is it's it was two minutes to midnight on the doomsday clock for literally like decades of real time. They got to that point where okay, we're up to like storm of chaos and like Archeon's invading, and he's gonna like. Conquer the Empire and shit. But, like, if he actually destroyed the old world, it was like, what the fuck do you go from... Where the fuck do you go from there? 
So it would always fizzle out and just be like the stagnant. Just Volton gets shaved by a fucking scaven and just the campaign's <laughs> over. Yeah, like, but they. He's they napping wrote, <laughs> himself in a tower. They wrote themselves into that corner where <laughs> everything is so precariously balanced on a knife edge that you can't advance the storyline one way or the other. I bet she was reading My Fair Maiden magazines or something like that in the tower. <laughs> just like. <laughs> okay, that hand motion does not translate to the podcast. But that was for you guys. That wasn't for the listeners. <laughs> Do not ever describe what I just did. Let that, let that be forever a mystery as to what hand gesture Tom was just doing. But yeah, so they, they, they had written themselves into a corner with the storylines yeah. where there was nowhere left to go. And so by blowing up the universe... Kind of going out in that you know big last hurrah. It's kind of a shame they made you buy thousands of dollars of models and books and then just immediately made them obsolete. Make them obsolete. Yeah, that was kind of a little bit shitty. Then, well, I will, I will admit the transition that they did was horrible and pulled off t- in terrible ways. But it was exciting. Chased away more people than it should have. If they had done it properly, they probably would have been doing twice as better as they're doing. I honestly right think it was again tangent, but I think they did a pretty good job of it. It was just too quick. If they dragged it, it a little longer fast. and let you play with those new armies and new books for like more than just a couple months, it would have been good because you could have got you could have had those models built and painted before they became obsolete. We could have had those models built and painted before they became obsolete. But regardless, like by wiping the slate clean, by going to the new realms and having like so much of that fluff hasn't been written yet. Like there, there's room to expand. There hasn't been room to expand the old world in forever. Like, they did that little Albion campaign where, like, oh, there's this little island that nobody knew existed. And with fen beasts and this naked dude with a stick. Hey, some people are into that. But, hell, I was into that. I, I love Truth. Dark, dark emissaries all over the globe. <clears throat> right. But, uh, yeah, like, they, they, they have that room to expand, so it is fresh and exciting. They can do new things without making it feel untrue to the source material. Because there was nothing they were inventing before that didn't feel like ham-fisted and forced. Whereas and forcing ham fists sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound uncomfortable for everyone involved. Yeah. But, uh, shit. Train of thought, where did you go? <laughs> but no, it's like the way that they were going to expand the dwarfs, like when they did, you know, their, their last codex, like they added like a new gyrocopter that can now drop a different kind of bomb or whatever. Like there was nowhere left to go. No, and but so now they could. They did like the weird Slayer, like uh, the Realm of Fire guys. They if they end up doing the what are they called? Like the the engineering heavy dwarf society. I can't remember what they're called. <laughs> Nor do I. But I would. I would buy that. But that's been rumored for a while. Like if they go full on, like full on steampunk, like mechanical golem construct type things, they could actually advance the dwarfs again because they were like the epitome of stagnation before. Yeah, that movement three really fucked them. <laughs> At least they can always march, oh, regardless of enemies yeah. within range. Yeah, but, um, yeah, we're stuck here with them now. <laughs> they have room to expand. They they have that license. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right in front of me. I didn't see you there. Yeah, <sighs> they have that license to like breathe some fresh air into their product again for the first time in decades. I think that's half the reason the game is experiencing that resurgence. They can actually do new shit and ha- and pull it off, whereas before, they, again, they they written them or painted themselves into a corner. There is not really anywhere else they can go. So I got a question for you guys. <clears throat> Can, I think, for me, conventional logic suggests that if there's more game systems that people are playing, you're going to be diluting the pool. Why are we seeing both of these events selling out? Like, this is... like, do you think Because it did fracture to two 
Well, we're saying three, but it, I, I think it's it, it fractured to two. Per, like lo- the local community, I would think is like I think that Kings of War got that initial interest, but then once Ninth Age just can continued on with from eighth, I think those people then gravitated towards that. So I don't think actually, uh, to be honest with you, most of the guys switched to game to um, Age of Sigmar. Age of Sigmar. Yeah, like there was about. A good ten guys that were super gung ho for Kings of War. Yeah, they're all doing Age of Sigmar now. So I think, uh, sorry, uh, Kings of War got that initial surgence, but then that died out when they realized that they wanted to play other games potentially. Right. So, but as for the other two, I, th- I do think it's two avenues of thought because the game is played two different ways. Where Age of Sigmar is very much a skirmish game on the round bases, and then you're still playing the regimented game with Ninth Age. And since the familiarity is still there from, like, 8th edition, it is more popular as well. Um, and different communities, so that's still their kind of, like, niche to go to, right? So uh, I have quite a few guys from Saskatchewan coming up uh, and playing Ninth Age because it's just a continuation of what they prefer as a game system. And I think you could get into that dilution or watering down type argument if, for example, they came out with two radically different game systems to play 40k. Because it's a game that, for better or for worse, it is still popular, it is still healthy, it is still like growing and sustaining and doing its thing. But fantasy was not in that point. Like It was on life support for so long that something needed to change. So by, by splitting it up, like you really just took something that wasn't working and gave it two different routes back to being successful. So like I could, I could see that argument if you had a game system that was perfectly fine and growing and healthy and vibrant and everything, why would you mess with a good thing? But in this case, it desperately needed a shot in the arm. It needed the adrenaline. It needed something to get it going again because it was circling the drain. Yeah, it, it, it was, it was stuck in the hairs in the drain at this point. <laughs> I was it somebody told me that their paint sales were higher than their fantasy the hobby sales? The hobby supplies made more money uh, than fantasy sales at one point, so... Which, to be fair, they do sell a lot of paints. And they <laughs> sell paints to people who don't play Warhammer as well, so... But yeah, it's, but it's true, though. still not a good... It was, it was voting well for fantasy. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, it's nice to see because, uh, you know, I'm still not playing fantasy, but I, I'm happy that other people are enjoying it and getting to use the toys that they've had for a long time and get joy out of that and find new love with the Age of Sigmar. So it's kind of like you've got this mix of nostalgia and moving forward. And the best part is, like you're saying, Mike, moving forward, you're not dropping another $1,500 on a fantasy army nope. to play. So do you know how many, how much overlap there is in the, in the registrations of both games? Like zero. What? Zero. Really? They're, they're I assume there would have been some systems. people playing on both days. No. So we're talking about like 48. Different individuals playing... Fantasy. When is the last time we had a fantasy tournament above thirty players, like thirty-five players outside? Like I think end because I think end times at the very end there there was a huge push because everyone was excited. I I don't even think I think we might have kept it at like high twenties, thirty maybe. I know out of the basement so. when we first started, we had some fantasy tournaments that were pushing forty, but this was a decade ago. Yeah. Right when when the tournament systems started like popping up in Edmonton that were self-run by not GW staff, right? But that only lasted a couple years, and then it was like five players dropped every year for fantasy. After that, forty k has always been a more popular system for sure. It's been more steady, that's for damn sure. Yeah, but I mean now with the different avenues of fantasy, 
all those individuals are coming back to one of the, the different camps. 48 and, unique players signed up for a fantasy game. That is fucking awesome. Yeah. I mean... And it is, it is signed, new blood and old blood is what it is. It's a mix of... There's more, more, more people are attracted to it now that... Oh, yeah, okay. No, 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 no. Yeah. It wasn't mm-hmm. sexual. It was totally like we need an old priest and a new priest in my head. So, <laughs> <laughs> But it is. It's a combination of the two, and it's helped to grow. Right? I'm going to say Ninth Age is probably... Uh, that's More probably going to be your salty veterans, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's for sure, For the majority, right? but, I mean, like, locally, there's been quite a few players that have been jumping in. Dare I say the jaded gamers. <laughs> oh. uh, Is that too late? Yeah, they're kind of yeah. gone. No, they're not, they're not playing any, any No, I, no, no, they're they gone. moved. It was, it yeah. was a... Well, not all. It was a joke in poor taste. Just let it go. <laughs> oh, I don't like that. Oh, there we go. I'm sorry. I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I can do that. Did I do that right? <laughs> um, but no, you're still you're still getting um, not necessarily like new new players. Uh, I should clarify, but basically players that are veterans from other systems that are looking for something else. They are gravitating to, to Ninth Age yeah, okay. because they're playing with their friends that have. Oh, okay. Systems, that makes such, sense. Yeah, yeah. Right. New new players that are just getting into tabletop gaming. Will tend, I think, to gravitate towards Age of Sigmar, Age of Sigmar right? Because yeah. again, it's an established system from a company that's producing new stuff. You can literally just go to a store and buy it and not download it off some like exactly. website somewhere. It's, yeah. it's not. It's not as hard to find. Like you're not on Kijiji looking for a deal. Hopefully, you can just walk into a store and, and buy whatever. Buy out. two of those guest started boxes and a whatever they call their army books now and yeah, yeah. have fun. Yeah, so. And when's the last time you could ever remember spending that? Like, I mean, I think I have to go back almost a decade to, or more than that. It's probably about 15 years before you could actually, 400 bucks would get you a full army, but the prices were a lot lower back then also. Yeah, I remember when I was, like, so hurting to buy my units of war dancers. Yeah. When they were like two models for eight dollars, <laughs> <laughs> like do you guys remember that? Yeah. Do, do you remember those days? When you're like, oh, I gotta buy you to because like my because I'd get eight archers for sixteen. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, it's a shitty model because it was sixteen models, All but it was one models. model. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it almost goes back to that point where it's to get that kind of affordability for getting yeah. into those games. Yeah. And I gotta say, they haven't really had any bad releases model wise. Like I can't think of one. Oh, for Age of Sigmar. I yeah. thought actually, yeah. I thought the Star Drake was really bad when I first saw it, the pictures. But I'm gonna tell you right now, that game workshop photographer should be shot because seeing the model in person. <laughs> I also think the Studio destroyed. Color Scheme does not do those do, models do justice. any yeah. justice. Yeah. Like lots of metallic is really hard to get a good photo of. Mm-hmm. They don't get good photos. And the models look like they have no detail. You see them in person? They're amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for new armies that come out for that system. Launch, and honest. it could be anything. Yeah. We don't even know. Like, new, exciting. We have, we have wood elf, like we have tree spirits in tree mechs shooting bee launchers. <laughs> like... It could be literally anything. <laughs> that pushes so many of my buttons. <laughs> <laughs> May the forest be with you. Like it I I Or are you thinking just um what am I thinking? 
Bioshock, where you can shoot bees out of your hands, and you're just like, yeah. I didn't even think of that. But, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, they, I think they have set themselves up. I, I envy the model and rules and game designers that are working on Age of Sigma right now. Because they could phone it in so aggressively before. It's just, oh, we'll take a metal or a resin unit and make it plastic. How fucking hard was that? Maybe give them a new weapon option. That was all they could do before. Or we'll have a new we'll have a new fucking like telescope wagon thing that shoots lasers. What the fuck was that? <laughs> but I mean, it was a telescope wagon that shot lasers. Damn it! Come on, Luminarch of Heesh, What is your deal? I do not understand you. <laughs> uh, but the other big thing too is that the models themselves can get more dynamic for Age of Sigmar compared to the rank and file. Because round yeah, bases, because round, round bases, you can you and can just playing bigger bases. Yeah, I mean, like, all the new orcs, like, how much bigger are they compared to their older <laughs> counterparts? Like, I actually kind of want to get some boots? to convert up, um, like, mega knobs. Have you seen, you got the war boss, right? You've seen how big he is, right? No, I only have those three fucking boar things. <laughs> You're behind, you're falling behind there, Tom. The war boss is, is yeah. huge. He's, He's like by far the biggest I, 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 orc yeah, I've, I've seen. Yeah, I've seen it. All my money's going into Malifaux right now. Yeah, I didn't say. I'm just saying we've seen how big he is. He's yeah, and my money's all going into things that you guys have mentioned. So, well, well you I'm have saying, to buy that model for the class. I was already messaging Dallas, and I was just like, "Well, how much for the old barbarian and the black sun barbarians?" So, oh God, they're so pretty. Yeah, it's dangerous, dangerous. So, but yes, fantasy. Good job, guys. Yeah, and you know what? I I do want to just have a shout out to the communities right now. Because you've got one community that grabbed onto a game that's not a real game and made it a real game. So, like, kudos to you fuckers. And then the guys that have actually rallied around Age of Sigmar. And, and gave it a chance. And actually gave it a chance. Yeah. We, I'll admit, I was negative in the beginning, too. God, dude. <laughs> anyone on this podcast know, or that listens to or is on this podcast knows. Yeah. You were salty as fuck. And now you're playing it and loving it. Oh, yeah. But I also think the, those individuals have really had a positive impact on it, too. They yeah. really... They pushed it. Right? So, and they I mean, it. thanks, Matt, Phil, uh, Russ, for really pushing Ninth Age and convincing me to eventually run it. And, I mean, James has been doing a fantastic job on the... Other than, like, changing the cover photo, like, every, like, 12 <laughs> hours. Uh, <laughs> Paul, Paul, and Paul, Paul, Paul was, was Paul, Paul, actively. He was he yeah. he was adamant. He was running demos at tournaments up here in Edmonton. Yeah. He would come up from Calgary to play in a tournament and then spend half the time running demos of like, no guys, this game doesn't suck. Yeah, the, the evangelical uh, Age of Sigmar players like they did they did the Lord's work. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> Wouldn't it have been Sigmar's work? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It is his age. That's true. After all, his name is on the cover. But uh, no, it's. The people that gave it an honest shot and and like mm-hmm. actually had to like drag people kicking into, and screaming, kicking and screaming <laughs> into the new edition and the new game. Like it's obviously people are like proving them right at this point because folks are picking up the game, enjoying it, they're finding things that they like. Time to eat crow. Yeah. There was the naysayers I think were kind of proven wrong in this case, which is cool to see because I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, and it seems like right now you can play with your fantasy toys however you want. And that, that for me is awesome. And, and Frostgrave! Fuck, that's another one! You can just grab your old warmer models and play a game now. I don't even know what that is. 
It's a wizard skirmish game with peons. There's going to be demos of it on Saturday yeah. at Onslaught. Cool. The guys from um, the, the Edmonton War Game. The media guys up. are doing that. Nice. On the topic of Onslaught, let's just move right into events because we've gone yeah. so far over. Yeah, this has been a long one. You're not going to be dealt downloaded, are you? <laughs> it might work. He the fixed last, it. The last time it didn't give me errors. Maybe they patched it. Maybe. We'll see. Maybe. All right, so upcoming events. Uh, we have October 1st, Hallhammer at the Bright Bank Community Hall. It's just out the Stony Plain. Uh, they are doing Ninth Age Fantasy, uh, 2,500 points. Um, it's a precursor to Onslaught. You can actually win the last Onslaught event or Onslaught slot. ticket. Slot. Onslaught slot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> dirty. Uh, uh, by participating in winning the event. I want to win the Onslaught slot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, October 8th is the Edmonton Brawler at the uh, Strathern United Church. October 8th, the Edmonton Brawler at the Strathern United Church. 40k and other systems. Uh, They will be running a um, War Machine event uh, that weekend, as well as a uh, Age of Sigmar tournament. And the winner of the Age of Sigmar tournament actually gets an Onslaught slot for the last spot uh, for Age of Sigmar. Can we just... Just say a word. Uh, no. Just call it what I'm, it is. I'm doing good right Just now. Just call it what it is. Uh, October 22nd, 23rd is Game A Lot in St. Albert. Uh, it's a big board game event. Uh, they've got several different board games that you can register for and partake over the weekend, starting Friday, actually Friday as well, so Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, uh, and then it is also a charity event, and I can't think of the charity, unfortunately. I'm horrible. I yeah, feel like it's a that. food bank thing. I, Mm. Oh, or is it a kids thing? I don't know. Maybe it's a food bank for the children thing. <laughs> I feel like an asshole, but it is a an awesome thing. So if you're big into board games, uh, it would be one to check out. There's and nondescript things. charitable donations. And yeah, if you don't feel like donating to charities, that would be the one to go to for sure. Uh, also, October twenty second, twenty third is onslaught. Kingsway Hermada, multiple systems. Lots of fantasy players are there already. Yeah, holy shit! You We've sh- taken camp residents. You can't even get rid of us right now. No, it's We're an probably invest- going to take over the hall if you don't watch it. I kind of want another eight per system to just be like, we need to play in this, and just make it sixty four, like fantasy players. That'd be amazing. Unique uh, registrations. I will be making some room if need be because I do. Uh, I do have a waiting list for both Ninth Age and Age of Sigmar. If you got the space and the tables, you might as well. I might as well use it, right? So, forty-eight players. I'm wondering where the heck you are um, <laughs> compared to previous years for sure. So, uh, but I I foresee again still X-wing filling up quite a bit and um, Malifaux. So if those are going to be the next two systems. I think cap out. So if you're interested in one of those, I'd sign up quicker rather than later, for sure. Can we drink in the hall? There will be a bar in the hall itself selling liquor. Okay, so... That should be all you need to know. Right? <laughs> Malfo players, come on! <laughs> yes, yes. So they're, they're going to have like a little bar uh, set up uh, in there, kind of like the LVO. Yeah, it's going to uh, be a bargain. I, yeah, so then you can go in and tickets... Oh my god. Yeah, all right. Fair enough. Uh, Keep this train rolling here. uh, Then we also have the Banshee Painting Class, November 5th and 6th, uh, down in Imaginary Wars Calgary, uh, painting a 75mm model. And and a bust. And a bust. Or a bust. Um, 
The one that he designed, actually. Ben. Just just keep going. Okay. Just don't listen to me. All right. I'm ignoring you. Just ignore uh, me. But it should be an awesome time. Tom and myself are going to that one. We um, will be drunk in Calgary. You should join us. It will be fun times had by all, or just me and Tom. It hasn't been decided yet. And anyone that wants to join us. <laughs> November 19th, uh, Team OP is running a Ninth Age Captains Tournament in the Sentry Box in Calgary. Um, so it's a team tournament. Uh, teams of three players. And uh, it's going to be $20 at the door only for the event. So I believe they have like a sign-up sheet that you can register prior, but payment will be at the door. Uh, and then we have two more brawlers, uh, both uh, 40K with other systems. Uh, right now, December 3rd is the first one, and January 21st. So they've got them planned out in the future for upcoming events. Cool. Uh, well, thanks for listening to us rant. We went way over today, but there was... Um, some stuff that was fun to talk about, some stuff that was really important to us on Hobby Day in Canada. I know we do make a lot of jokes about a lot of things, but uh, we can actually be serious every once in a while. So we're going to bring it. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> hey, we didn't say professional. Okay, right, okay, sorry. Stop laughing. All right, we're good, we're good. Yeah, but like, so please take some of the things we said in this episode to heart and paint your fucking models. This has been Hobbit in Canada. I'm your host, Tom. I'm Ward. Mike. And I'm Dan. 